just want to share with you my um, appreciation for, for being here with you uh, this morning, and um, maybe just a, a little bit more of a, thanks Tim, uh, introduction. Um, I, it, later in the message, I'm going to refer to uh, my, my first wife, Lisa, who, who passed away um, from a brainstem tumor, and I have remarried uh, Kindis and uh, moved, moved up here to, to Colorado in 2022. And so my wife, Kindis is, is here with uh, uh, me this morning, as well as uh, her, her daughter, Aaliyah, and my daughter, Nadia. Um, and so I just wanted to, you know, since you all will be hearing from me in these next weeks, I wanted to kind of introduce my family as well and uh, just let you get a little bit of a backstory. Kindis as well, um, she walked a similar um, grief journey. Um, her uh, husband, uh, first husband, Rob Paris, uh, an Anglican priest, um, he also um, died of a brain tumor uh, several years ago. And so, you know, I just find it interesting uh, as we talk about, uh, you know, a church appointed for suffering uh, and glory. Um, you know, suffering comes into our lives. And, um, and it's never pleasant, of course, uh, but, but these next weeks we are hoping to just understand and look to heaven and say, Lord, what are you doing in all this? And so um, I want to just invite you to open up your Bibles to Philippians uh, 1, 1 to 8, as I understand. We'll have that uh, on the screens as well. Um, So, if you would uh, join me in reading from Philippians chapter 1. So, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, and I'm going to re refer to that greeting later on, and just know that uh, the NIV chose to translate the word doulos, servants, but Typically, in that culture, it was slaves, slaves of Christ Jesus. To all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And this is God's word. And, oh, and, and actually, this is not all God's word. <laughs> this is, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And that is all 
That is God's word. And would you just say thanks be to God as a response? Well, um, I want to just begin with a question. Is there anybody here that is a fan of the Rocky movies, okay? Anybody seen the Rocky movies, a fan of the Rocky movies? Uh, uh, I just want to, you know, one of the famous movies was Rocky Four. Okay, and uh, maybe you can remember the way the ring announcer introduces Apollo Creed in Rocky IV. He says, and in the blue corner, weighing in at 200-something pounds, the dancing destroyer, the king of Sting, the count of Monte Fisto, the master of disaster. And, you know, by this time, Rocky's like, Apollo, how many names do you have? And, uh, and you know, the announcer goes on, the one, the only Apollo Creed. Now, of course, that sort of introduction spotlights Apollo's abilities and accomplishments. It showcases him as a winner, and it hypes up his honors. Many ancient letter writers had what you might call an Apollo Creed approach to letter writing. I mean, if you possessed any high-status titles, you did what that ring announcer did. You'd just flaunt them. You'd flash them at the beginning of your letter. You'd say, I'm this, and I'm that, and I'm this. And, and you, it was all about announcing and alerting everybody, signaling right away your status and your significance. And the reason for this is that People in the ancient world were just obsessed with what is known in Latin as the cursus honororum. And that just basically means the race for honors. And, and so the historians will tell us that, that slaves, they didn't want to just be slaves. They were racing to become free. And, and the freedmen were racing to become decurions, uh, the class of priests and, and, and government officials. So they want to become government officials. And, and the decurions um, were racing to own a horse so that they could be called equestrians. And equestrians were racing to become senators. And then senators were trying to get even closer to Caesar so that they could have better roles in, in the government. But here's the deal. Everybody was racing for honors, and if you had any honor, you broadcasted it. You led with it right away, except if you're the Apostle Paul. Because if you're the Apostle Paul, you start your letters in a very different way. You start your letters in a very strange way. Notice how Paul greets the Philippians. He doesn't say, Israelite first class, Hebrew of Hebrews, top-ranking Pharisee from the high school of Gamaliel. He could have said all that. But instead he says, no, I'm Paul. I'm here with Timothy. And we're slaves of Christ Jesus. And, and if you're reading his letter for the first time, you're like, What's he doing? He's obviously not doing the race for honors. And, and, and really what I want you to see in this greeting 
because we're going to be looking at this first chapter of Philippians in the next weeks, I just want you to see that even in his greeting, Paul is doing something important. He's doing two things, really. He's preparing the Philippians for one of the great themes of his letter, but he's also reminding them of his past ministry among them. So let's look at both of those. First, he's preparing them for one of the great themes of this particular letter, the theme of humble service. It's as though Paul is saying, okay, I want you to know our neighbors, it's true. They're racing for honors because that is the master story of the ancient world. But he says, we Christians, we're different. We, we serve others to resemble our king because that's our master story. And so Paul will later say in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, he'll say, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, the high king of heaven, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Instead, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant and was made in human likeness and he humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Christ acted like a servant when he was in heaven and he said, I'm considering their interest. They'll never be part of my forever family unless I go to that cross and I die for them. That will redeem them. That will reconcile them so that they can come into into the forever family. And so the heavenly father sent the son and he obeyed and he went to that cross. And, and, And Paul says to the Philippians and to us, he says, That's our story. And so maybe everybody else around us, they're they're in that selfish ambition mode and they're in that feign conceit mode and they're leading off and, and bragging all the time, but not so with us. Philippians 2, 3 and 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking for your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of others. So Paul is saying, remember, I'm a slave. And that's just alerting them to what he's, uh, what he's gonna be talking about in this letter, preparing them for that. But secondly, it's reminding them of his own history among them. It's as though he's saying, yeah, just as Jesus came to earth as a slave, don't forget that I first came to you in Philippi as a slave of Jesus Christ. I served your interest from day one, even if it meant suffering. So let's just review that birth story of the church of Philippi. I love this because, you know, the book of Acts actually gives us the birth story. We can can get right on the ground floor and see how this church began. And and Paul had this dream of a man from Europe pleading with 
with, with, with Paul saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. We are needy. We are hungry to hear the message of salvation. And so Paul, he takes that as a message from the Lord and he travels to Europe. And the first place he goes to is Philippi. And that's in the region of Macedonia. And he shares the gospel there. And, and we learn that the first per, he goes to the river and, and there's some Jewish ladies there at the, at, at the river, but there's also some Gentiles and he shares the good news. And, and it says there in the text that God first opens the heart of Lydia, a high class businesswoman from Thyatira. And it says a seller of the royal purple cloth, which was only, only those in the very highest levels of the fashion industry could sell the royal purple cloth. And so when they say that she sells that cloth, it's an indication that she is a rich lady. Tim Keller, Pastor Tim Keller says that Lydia would have rubbed shoulders if she was living in our you know, culture in our day and age, she would have rubbed shoulders with people like Miranda from that old movie, The Devil Wears Prada. Okay, so she, she'd be right up there with Miranda. I think with a different kind of attitude, but with Miranda. That's the social set Lydia belongs to. And after Lydia believes in Christ, she seeks to serve Christ by opening her home as a meeting place. She says, Paul, thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. My life has changed. I want to open my home so church can happen here in my living room. And then you remember the next phase of the story. Paul drives this demon out of a slave girl who's possessed by literally what's called a python spirit, a fortune-telling demon. And the slave boss was making a good deal of money from, from that gift of hers. Uh, and so when Paul drives it out, he's mad. And he arranges to have Paul and his ministry partner Silas arrested and beaten and thrown into jail. And do you remember what Paul does from that dark cell? Anybody remember what he does? Yeah, he sings. He sings songs of joy. He rejoices right in the middle of that terrible suffering. It's as though he's saying, yes, the master, my master has appointed me to suffer in this cell, but my master is in control. And so from this very cell, Silas and I are going to sing songs of praise about how our God turns graves into gardens. Right here. We're going to rejoice right in the middle of this suffering. And so from that cell, he's singing songs of the Lord and everybody else is listening to him. And, and, and he's singing songs of the earth maker, the world shaker. And just then, an earthquake really hits. And it throws open the doors of the jail cell. And he could go free. In fact, we remember the jailer, he knows that if any prisoner escapes, the jailer himself will be shamefully executed. And so he's pulling out his sword. He's ready to end his life. But Paul stops him and he says, don't kill yourself. We're all here. The jailer just turns to Paul, dumbfounded. What kind of prisoner are you? Who ever heard of a person looking to the interest of the jailer? That would be Paul. 
a servant of Christ in all situations, even after an earthquake, he's thinking, how do I serve Christ? And he's saying, I rank your life, jailer, as more important than more valuable than my freedom. And when he and Silas do that, the jailer is just like, like overwhelmed by the amazing grace of God. And he kneels on the ground and he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Let me know. And he and his family become Christians too. So that's the birth story of the church of Philippi. Isn't that amazing, dramatic stuff? It, 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 it began with suffering service and joyful song. And Paul begins his letter saying, I'm still in that role. I'm still Christ's slave among you, calling you to serve like the master. Let the world around us race for honors. That's their story. But we're gonna follow our master in paths of service. Sometimes sacrificing, at all times rejoicing. Because we know now the end of that story, the master story, our master story. And that, in that story, Jesus sacrifices even to the place of the cross. And then he is exalted to the highest place and given the name above every name. And so... Paul says, I'm a slave. We're slaves together. And then in the very next part of the letter, he says, and I'm happy this morning. Now, you need to know, they are really concerned. They've heard things about Paul uh, being in trouble. Being, they know he's in jail. They want to know how he's doing. But Paul isn't telling them until a lot later in chapter 1 actually how he's doing. Because right now he's just like, I want to tell you what's making me happy this morning. It's my precious partnership with you. Paul says in verses four and five, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Every real church rejoices in the blessings of the gospel that we sang about, that Talia led us in singing about earlier that the Lord forgives our sins, that the Lord adopts us and accepts us into his forever family, that the Lord welcomes us to walk with him and talk with him and know him. And, and, and this beautiful blessing that we will see our Lord's face in heavenly glory one day. These gospel blessings should thrill every Christian. Let's always rejoice in them. They're terrific. But, if Paul was here, I think he'd say, let's rejoice in them, let's keep singing about them, they're wonderful, but I don't want you to be merely a consumer of gospel blessings. I want you to be a carrier of them as well. There are some who just want to taste those gospel blessings all the time. And he's like, yes, go ahead and taste them, but be a teller of those blessings as well. And there's some who are just like, oh, I want to go and see the gospel show on Sunday and I want to observe the gospel show. And, and, and Paul is like saying, yes, it's, it's wonderful. It's great to hear the gospel, amen. But also be partners in the gospel work. And that's what the Philippians were. And Paul says, you're really unique among all the churches that I planted. Chapter four, he says, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia to continue my, continue my missionary work, he said, when I set out, not one 
church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. And, and we learn more about this church actually in another book in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul tells us more about, um, uh, uh, about the Philippians. In this chapter, he's motivating the Corinthians, and he's saying, I want you to follow the example of the Macedonian churches, and he's referring obviously to Philippi. And so Paul is essentially saying the Philippians gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. And they said to our Lord Jesus, I'm yours, put me to your will, assign me any service you please. And the Lord Jesus said, okay, give to Paul's collection for the poor. There's starving Christians in Jerusalem. My heart breaks for them. Paul's taken a collection, give to that collection. And the church in Philippi, they opened their checkbooks and they gave. And Paul, that delighted his heart. And he says, I'm just thinking about those first days. I'm thinking about our ongoing gospel partnership. And it's just such a blessing to me. And, and you know, I think it's a telling mark of a gospel partner that they open. The master nudges them and they open their life. They open their checkbooks and give. They open their hearts and pray. They open their hands and serve and care. Remember Lydia? God opens her heart to Jesus and, and, and she opens her home to Jesus' work. She says, set up church in my living room. I mean, I can picture one of Lydia's posh friends meeting her at the cafe saying, darling, Lydia, I'm concerned for you. Have you lost your mind? Open your home to that funny little talker and that uncouth jailer and that wild, scary girl. I've been ever so worried about those gross creatures placing their ugly feet on your lovely velvet ottoman there in the house. And it's not right, you know, you inviting everybody into your house like that. It's not proper. Why are you doing such a thing? Picture Lydia saying, I want to please my master. King Jesus lost everything for me. I can lose some elbow room in my house for him. I belong to Jesus now. I've given myself to Jesus now. I feel privileged to partner in the gospel work which Paul and all the other apostles are taking to the ends of the earth now. And that's what I want to be a part of. Paul remembers that and he says, that makes me smile. That makes my heart sing. And in 2 Corinthians 8 too, Paul says that the Philippians gave in the middle of a very severe trial. You know, I, we all know of Christians who give and serve only on the rainbow days. You know, the rainbow days when the sun shines pleasant and the daisies spring up. Um, but we also know that some quit on what you might call the Blue Mondays. Have you ever heard of Blue Mondays? Um, back in 2005, some British journalists designated the third Monday of January the worst day of the year. You might say, well, why that day? Okay, well, it's a Monday, the worst day of the week for most people. Furthermore, it's in the middle of the winter, 
And, and, and you know, by the third week, Christmas seems like a distant memory. And you've already broken your New Year's resolution by this time. And the snow is falling and the wind is howling and the ice is thick. And, and so many people, by this time, they've, they've stopped giving, stopped serving, stopped singing. But not the Philippians. They press on even when it seems like life is a season of Blue Mondays. They persevere. And Paul's letter reaches them and he says, okay, you're in another, you're in another difficult season of suffering. And, and he says that explicitly in the last paragraph of Philippians 1. He says in verse 29 that our master has granted to you, he's appointed to you to believe, to believe. What a great blessing that we could be appointed to believe in Jesus, but then also to suffer. And that brings us to our final point, Paul's confidence. A confidence that God will finish what he started in them. Paul says in verse 6, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Sometimes when we suffer, we lose our sense of God's good hand and loving rule over our lives. We, we stop serving. We at least slow down. And maybe a spirit of complaint or resentment, we feel it battling our heart, trying to overtake our heart. I, I remember I struggled with this when my late wife Lisa was diagnosed with that brainstem tumor in 2014, nine years ago. In September of that year, the doctors told us, prepare yourself. You just have, Lisa just has one year to live. And the news struck our hearts and scrambled our lives. Nadia was just eight years old at the time. This was not the script that we had imagined for ourselves or for our four kids. We thought that we would live and serve at Rehoboth CRC till the end of our days, but the Lord had other plans. Now, thankfully, Lisa actually lived five and a half years more than what the doctor said on September 17, 2014. 2,002 days precisely, I counted them, longer than what the doctors expected. But she did die in 2021. And in a sense, my setup has been kind of upset, like a puzzle broken into pieces. Maybe some of you can relate. Maybe you've received news of a terrible diagnosis. Maybe a child slammed a door on you and said she no longer wanted to speak to you and you ached to have her back again. Maybe you lost a job or lost a dream or lost a loved one to death. Maybe you feel strains in your family or in some friendship group. The old days of togetherness and harmony, they've faded a little bit. And, 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 and something still remains, but you don't know what lies ahead. And you feel a little bit like one of those ruined castles you see in Europe. You know, one of those that are burnt out with broken walls. And very frankly, you feel a little annoyed to hear someone call you to serve again. To partner together again for the sake of the gospel. And, and maybe we'd understand why you'd find that a little annoying. Because you're just like, whoa, whoa, I've done that. 
where is God in all of this? Where are our lives heading? And the Philippians were asking these sorts of questions. It's a good church, falling on hard times, trying to know what to do. And Paul says, well, first of all, we're all servants of a master who's all about serving, and you can still serve. And Paul says, God's past work among you has been beautiful. You are partners when no one else partnered. Keep serving. And yes, your present suffering is, is tough and it's tearing you apart in some ways. Maybe you feel forgotten. Maybe you feel shelved. Maybe you can't make sense of your life. But I know this, says Paul. I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He'll be faithful. The master will finish what he started in you. And maybe, you know, You'd like to say, I'd like to have some words with Pat, Paul. I'd like to ask him some questions. And so Paul's not here, and so you might say, here's some pet questions I'm going to throw to you your way, Pastor. Uh, my life is like a broken wall, broken into a thousand pieces. And I would say, I'm so sorry. But don't close your ears or your heart. Have you not heard? It is written in the prophet Isaiah, our master is a repairer of broken walls. He rebuilds, it says in Isaiah 54, the afflicted city, lashed by storms, refusing to be comforted. He says, I will finish what I started in you. I will make your gates of sparkling jewels and all your walls of precious stones. But pastor, my, my heart is... Loaded down with cares. My life is bruised with many wounds. And again, I'm so sorry. But don't close your ears or your heart. It is written in the Psalms. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And he says, I will finish that human work. I will finish what I started in you. Keep opening your heart to my promptings. Don't go tough. Keep serving, keep giving, keep loving. But pastor, I, I, I'm unsure of myself. I, I, I get distracted. I, I lose my way. As, as we sang about earlier, I, I, I'm prone to wander. Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. Okay. Confess that. Take it to the Lord in prayer. But don't close your ears or your heart. Have you not heard? It is written in another prophet, the prophet Jeremiah, our Lord promises, I will give them singleness of heart and action and they will always fear me. I will never stop doing good to them and will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. Isn't that a good promise? I'll never stop doing good to them. I will finish what I started in my people. finish what he started in you. And so hang in there. Hold on to that promise. And one last thing, just a P.S. <laughs> Consider Paul's example. He writes this letter from a jail cell. He's suffering right now. That's what they want to know about. 
And he begins by giving thanks. He's giving thanks for the church. It's a good thing to give thanks for the church. I believe that blesses our Lord. So, you know, you might say, oh, I have concerns about the church. I've got difficulties. I've got disagreements. Yes, yes, yes. That's all important. Such things need to be prayed for and sorted out. Absolutely. But as you do, give thanks for the church. Because the church is the holy work of God. And he is doing something beautiful with his bride.